You can uh, get your worship guide out and follow along. We're going to, we're, we're, we're believing that you're going to be blessed today. We had two powerful services. Actually, uh, we had a service on Friday night. It was one of the, I think it was one of the top five services I've ever had at Connect. How many of you here Friday night? Friday night in the house, right? Had some powerful, powerful night. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just glad you're here this morning. I want to uh, welcome our online viewers and also uh, our Framingham campus. Can you guys give them a big hand as we, uh, as we continue our series today or start our series today? So glad you guys are with us. We know there are people listening from all over the place and even as far as Pakistan. And so I just want to welcome you guys for being online with us and enjoying the service with us. We're in a series uh, we're starting today entitled Change. Everybody say Change. And uh, it's going to be good. This is going to be a multi-week series. I don't know if it's going to be five or six weeks. We've got a couple of guest speakers that also are going to participate uh, in the series with us. And I think you're going to be really blessed because change, though it is difficult, it is essential. Can I have an amen? Um, we need to keep changing and growing. And we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. And, and I encourage you to take notes. If you're, if you're a leader in this church or you're a leader of people, even outside of the church, you, you're kind of a, you help people, uh, maybe you're a teacher, a coach, uh, a professional that maybe uh, assists other people. This is one of those messages that you really want to kind of take some good notes on because um, you're going to get some stuff that, that's really going to help you uh, form some foundations in your life that I think are essential uh, to people being able to grow and change. But I do want to give you a couple quick announcements uh, that you may not realize. Um, Banner Hill Church uh, is, a, is a friend of ours, and they are planting a church official launch. They've been kind of unofficially going already, but their official launch is tonight at Framingham State University. This, uh, the pastor, uh, Brian Shippey, yeah, come on, give him a big hand. That's good. We're really happy about that. Uh, Brian Shippey's a pastor, friend of mine. I've kind of been mentoring him uh, since he came to the area. He transplanted from Houston, Texas, Hales, Houston, Texas. Married five kids. And I just think it's so cool that somebody would like literally uproot their lives to move to Massachusetts and plant a church. I mean, come on. That's just amazing, first of all. Secondly, it takes a lot of faith to do that because we are, uh, we're, we're a territory that's notorious for kind of, you know, seeing churches, uh, you know, suffocate and die. And so it's just good to see that churches are, um, are still growing and thriving and a lot of good stuff happening in our region right now. We see a real swing, a real change in the culture and climate of New England. And I I'm just glad to be a part of that. And uh, we just want to believe the best for Banner Hill as they launch tonight. Let's pray for them. Can we do that real quick? Quick. Would you join me? Father God, I thank you so much for Brian, his beautiful wife, and wonderful children. I thank you for his core team there that's over there. They're hustling and bustling right now, uh, getting ready, Lord. And there's so much work that goes into this, Lord. It's a big deal for them. And there's, there's a certain, you know, fear and trepidation that wonder, wonders, is anybody going to show up? Lord, I pray that you would draw people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, God, that that, that church would be just a, a, a city on a light on a hill, Lord God, that people would be drawn to it, Lord, and they'd see it, they know something, that there'd be a buzz about it, God. And I, I just pray for mighty things to happen today. I thank you, Lord God, for their faith. I thank you for their faithfulness. And I pray that you honor that, Lord. This is an amazing opportunity. We believe, God, for the best for Banner Hill Church. We're, we're sending people. We pray that they complement and not compete. Uh, we're praying for them, Lord. I pray that that would avail much, Lord. We're sending resources, and we pray that it multiply in Banner Hill Church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So just keep praying for them. You may want to show up tonight. I think I'm going to go tonight and, and check it out. Also want to uh, highlight something else that we do here at Connect. It's one of my favorite events that we do. Um, it's called Relate. 
and uh, it's not speed relating, it's not speed dating, it's relate, okay? And uh, this is a coaching kind of network that we're a part of in, uh, in the region here, and uh, Relate has like 600 to 700 churches within its network, um, and I have the, the blessing and honor to be able to serve on the lead team for Relate. We're hosting the event. We do that um, uh, every other year, um, and when I say host, I mean like we're, we're having people come in, like probably 250 pastors and leaders from all over the region, uh, and then we're just going to pour into them. We're just going to invest in them. We're going to, uh, you know, train and equip and encourage and inspire and just make sure that the church of Jesus Christ continues into the next generation. Amen. And so this, this, all these leaders, they represent hundreds and thousands of people. So it's an incredible way to invest your time. So if you want to do something that makes a big difference, we're all encouraged to serve. But I would encourage you not to just serve out of duty or obligation, but serve with intentionality and purpose and do the things that really can get the highest possible return. And I can't think of something you can get a higher return on uh, than serving uh, pastors and leaders who are serving people, uh, leaders and other people. And so it's just a great way to broker your time. Uh, it's a Tuesday, October 16th. Uh, you have the opportunity to get the day off from work and come and serve the local church in a big way. Amen? So just want to tell you about that, but we're going to get back to our series today. Um, I want to give you kind of like um, uh, this overview in like very short period of time. But let me start with a little illustration. I'm not leaving, so just hang on. I'm getting a little prop here in the back here. So this is a little odd. Can you guys all still hear me? Just kidding. <laughs> so how many of you uh, know what this is? Trash, right, everybody? Trash. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I hated taking out the trash, okay? This was one of my responsibilities when I grew up was to get all the trash together, and then my mom would say, you need to go take this to the street, take this to the street. So that's why we had the Doobie Brothers playing today, because the song was called Taking It to the Street. And I want you to see the connection. You see that? You see that? You see that creativity right there? All right. So I used to have to take all the trash out. And in my house when I was growing up, my mom's in the house right now, so I'm going to have to be well-behaved. Last service, I was really bad, Mom. I apologize. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, in my house, I had to get the trash. When we had to get the trash, it wasn't just go down to the garage, take the trash cans out. No, you had to get all the trash in all the different rooms and all the different trash baskets. Somebody know what I'm talking about, okay? Now, I'm going to take it up another level here, okay? So in our house, even if there was just like very little trash, you still had to empty that trash. Uh, you could have like just a, this is the bucket, and you could just have a fraction of trash. You still have to empty all that trash because my mom believed in having clean trash baskets, okay? Like, I mean, immaculate. Like, the house was, it just had to be no trash. She just hated trash. She just hated trash. So we put all the trash in one bag, and we tied it up, and then we put it in another bag, and then we had to take all that out to the street, okay? I couldn't stand it. It was just like my responsibility. I hated just take the trash out of the street, and I just, ah, I just felt so miserable. I just felt so, ugh from doing trash. So when I got older and I got my own house, how many, uh, how many wonder, you know, who do you think takes out the trash at my house? That's right. Stacy does. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> uh, once in a while. I forget once in a while. And once in a while I forget to take the trash uh, cans and bring them back in because I was so decimated by my upbringing, okay? So whenever you see trash bags today, this is going to correlate to some of the things that I want to teach you today because I want to put some things in the trash and I want to take them to the street as we go forward. But when we're talking about this message, uh, there's going to be some things that are, they're going to be enlightening for some of you, maybe even a little like, 
aha, and some things are going to be like a little negative maybe even, and you're going to have thoughts go through your head like, oh, you know, why am I like this? Because I think everybody wants to change. Like if I said to you, write 10 things about yourself that you like to change, uh, first of all, the guys would be really slow and the girls would be really fast, okay? I don't know what it is about that, but guys, we have plenty of things we need to change. So all the women said, Amen. <laughs> but you could write 10 things like that. And I would submit to you that probably 9 out of 10 of them would be external. That's right. You know what I mean? It's like something on the outside we want to change, right? But, but there are things on the inside we want to change. Because we, we, we say things in our thoughts. We sometimes say things like, why did I do that? Why am I like this? What's the matter with me? When will I ever learn? What is wrong with me? We all know we need to change. Change is difficult. But change is essential. It is critical that we change and that we grow. But some of the reasons we don't change, we get mad at God because we, we're not changing, but we are using uh, selfish, self-centered, sometimes faulty methods for change, and we need to put those in the trash and take them to the street. Can I have an amen out there, okay? So here's something I want you to write down. Here's kind of a thought for you, and that is uh, true life change comes about through partnership with God, but it has to begin with a rejection of all the faulty, self-centered change methods, okay? Now, Colossians chapter 2, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version. That means it's the loudest version of all of them. Nobody's paying attention there, but that's okay. It says this. It says, see to it. This is where we get the basis for following Christ's instruction over uh, submitting to or transferring trust from a worldly system to a God system, a kingdom system for change. That's what I'm trying to get you to do from the scripture. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, pseudo-intellectual babble, according to the tradition and musings of mere men following, following, work with me, elementary principles of this world rather than following the truth, the teachings of Christ. See, God wants, I'm not saying there's not some value or there's some merit in secular uh, uh, viewpoints or, or systems. I'm just saying they have to subordinate themselves to a biblical perspective on life change. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Let me, let me play it out like this. Sometimes people come to pastors in the church and they want counseling. One of our questions will be very, very quickly is, are you already in counseling? Because we don't want the counseling to, to, um, to, uh, to create conflict because the approach is so different. See, we all have a seat that sits on the will, the emotions, our feelings, our desires, and who sits on that seat, is de it determines the results. Do you sit on the throne of your life or does Christ sit on the throne of your life? In a secular approach to change, self sits on the throne. You sit on the throne of your life. The goal is you be happy. In a Christ-centered approach to life change, Christ sits on the throne of your life, and it's submission to him, I want to please him as a byproduct, you'll be happy, you'll have joy. Does that make sense? Totally different. So this is what Paul is saying to the letter of Colossae. He's saying, hey, listen, don't base it on philosophies of men, mere musings, psycho, you know, pseudo-intellectual babble. You need to base what you want to change on, not the traditions of men, but you want to base it on the teachings of Christ. Everybody getting it? Okay, so this is a big deal, all right? But because if we keep doing what, uh, if we keep doing what, we, uh, what we've always done, we're going to what? We're going to keep getting what we've always gotten, right? That's kind of the old quote there. So I want to give you kind of a, 
a, a faulty method of change. I'm going to give you six of them very, very quickly. Here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes, okay? And you want to you take all these, you want to label them, you want to bag them, and you want to take them to the, take them to the street. You want to see these things and just say, no, 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 i got to get these things out of my life. In order for me to be changed, to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ, in order for that to happen, 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us to do so, I have to reject these self-centered uh, uh, change methods. So the first one, the first method is environmental change. Now this is going to be interesting to some of you, uh, maybe all of you, but sometimes this is known as behaviorism. This approach was made popular by people, by people like J.B. Watson, B.F. Skinner, um, and, and, the, and the notion that they came up with is that the environment conditions a person uh, to behave a certain way. Environment conditions people to behave a certain way. A, a famous uh, psychologist that you all know, Pavlov, some of you have heard that or remember studying him when you were in school. How many remember Pavlov? You studied Pavlov? All right, and he did this experiment, and basically he took a slobbering dog, and, and isn't that appetizing? I'm trying to ruin lunch, everybody. Um, <laughs> but he took a slobbering dog, and he did this, this experiment. He put food in front of the dog, and, he, and, then, and then the dog would salivate, and then he would ring a bell. Food salivate, ring a bell, repeat. Food, salivate, ring a bell, repeat. This would happen over and over and over again. And then eventually, he would take the food away, and then he would ring the bell. What would happen? The dog would salivate, and then he would look for food. So over time, he conditioned the dog just with a bell to salivate and to desire food. And so what happened is, these psychologists, basically Watson, Skinner, and other people, they extrapolated a truth from this experiment. Now, extrapolate is kind of a, kind of a key word because, and we'll see why in just a second, but it's a little stretch. Basically, they said, most, if not all, human behavior is a result of what they called conditioning. So just like the dog's behavior changed as a result of this experimentation, as a result of this conditioning, so human beings in certain environments with certain conditions, behaviors will be altered. Now, is that true? In a measure, yes, it is true. But I want to kind of tinker with this a little bit so you can see it clearly. Most psychological views or theories obviously have some validity. No doubt about it. Certainly behavior is influenced by environment. Certainly we have patterns of thinking that can be formed over long periods of time. But listen, listen. There is no automatic cause and effect connection or correlation to your behavior. In other words, there's no automatic cause and effect relationship between environment and your behavior. It is not automatic. Point in case. There are many people who, there are mass murderers who were born into homes of affluence, well-educated moms and dads who loved each other. There are also Nobel Peace Prize winners and Pulitzer Prize winners who were born into abject poverty and brokenness. There is not an automatic or direct correlation between environment conditioning producing certain behaviors. Is everybody tracking with me? Twins, you can see this true in studies related to twins. You can see this, uh, you know, this, this, this connection cannot automatically uh, be, be made. In fact, volition, or you could say free will or choice, is a bigger factor than your condition or your environment or your conditioning. Yeah. I had a, 
a couple of friends when I was growing up as a young man, somewhere between 19 and 20 years old, and these two were brothers, and they were born into, uh, they were born into a very difficult, dysfunctional home. Uh, mother and father both addicted to drugs, one an alcoholic, one had AIDS. They ended up getting divorced. One brother of his own volition became a preacher. The other one became a professional gambler. In fact, I was sharing this story, and I've never shared that story in like 10 years, and the daughters of the professional gamblers were in the first service listening to me say that, nodding their head, and I talked to them afterwards, and I was so scared. I was like, I didn't know you were going to be here. This was their first time to connect, and they heard me talk about their dad. Is that bizarre? I mean, this stuff, you can't even make this stuff up. It was crazy. And, and, and they said, you were so right. And we always wondered this. And it just helped so much. And they're coming back next week. I mean, come on, somebody. That's amazing. I just think it's incredible that that happened to me. I just don't know what to say about it. But anyway, here's the thing. Environment matters, but it is not determinative, okay? It is not automatic. It is not a guarantee, all right? So if you have believed that, I'm telling you, take that faulty method, put it in the trash, and take it to the... Come on, say it like you mean it. Take it to the street, okay? In Luke 15, this is in the, in the Bible. You can read it on your own another time. This is the story of the prodigal son and, of course, the elder brother as well. The prodigal, you know, took all that was given to him, squandered it, wanted, you know, his, his inheritance, and he ends up, you know, losing everything, and then and he's got nothing. And so he looks for a job, and he ends up going from his father's house to a pig pen. He, he, would, even, he would even eat the food that the pigs were, were given, but he couldn't even get that. The Bible says he came to his senses, or he came to himself in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. He finally kind of, he kind of woke up within, all right? And he didn't have to fix his past in this situation. He didn't fix the problem. That, that didn't happen for him to change. He didn't fix his conditioning. That didn't happen. He didn't fix his environment. What needed to be fixed was his heart. Can I have an amen or an oh me out there, okay? In other words, he came to the realization, I'm the problem. In fact, when he returned to his father, he said, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll take anything you'll give me. What did the father do? He gave him his best robe, put a ring on his finger, and threw a party and killed the fatted calf. That's the God's attitude towards us, even when we fail. Even, he, you can't get God to love you any more or less based on your behavior, amen? And so it's an amazing story. And so your experiences are not determinative of the person you will become. You just have to come to the place where you realize, you know what? Yes, they influence me, but ultimately, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Many of us fall prey to this. We know we need to change, but we want to blame our problem on our job. We want to blame our problem on our spouse. We want to blame our problem on our kids, our offspring. It's funny. I think the kids, parents are blaming their kids. I'm like, my goodness, this thing's gotten out of hand. One time I had, we have friends. My mom and dad will know these people. And, and, and this husband and wife were having an argument. And, and the, the wife, her name's Debbie, she says to Charlie, she says, Charlie, they were battling back and forth. She says, Charlie, and that's another thing. And that's your mother-in-law. You getting that? Charlie's like, that's your mom. <laughs> it's like, hello, hello. See, people want to blame it on location. I hear this all the time. You know, uh, we want to move to uh, Florida because it's warm, and we would be so happy if we moved to Florida. I understand. You know, but some, some, my wife and I made a decision, like, in the seventh grade, we're not going to live for the weather. 
Okay, you just got to get to a certain point where you're not going to blame environment or kids quiet in this church. I must be hitting a nerve on this point, apparently. <laughs> All right. This is a big deal. It's not about those things. All right. Number two, write this down. I got to move on. You didn't like that one. You're going to love this one. All right. You're going to love this one. All right. Faulty method number two, change by digging up my past. Psychoanalysis is sometimes what this is called. Okay. The Australian physician who popularized this, his name was Sigmund... Freud, there you go. He basically said that behavior is a result of, or determined by these powerful hidden drivers buried deep within your subconscious. In other words, when bad things happen to you, there is a natural inclination for us to put that aside, categorize that, bury that, make that go away. I don't want to feel that right now, so we're just going to put it far away from us. And so psychoanalysis or this, this kind of therapy, which I'm not saying is bad. Have you ever done it? Again, I'm subordinating these things. I'm not throwing them out, okay? In fact, I think any biblical counselor worth their salt has to hear somebody's story. I mean, you gotta hear, you got to put things in context if you're a loving counselor. But it's not that. It's the drilling and the digging and the looking deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, we got to find something. What happened to you? You may not even know what it is, but there's something there somewhere back in the recesses of your brain. Somewhere back there, there's something that you're struggling with in the present that is a result of what happened to you in the past. There's some deep, dark, dastardly secret that's there. And if, here's the lie. If you don't find it, you can't change it. That's the lie, okay? It's bad. So the biblical message is completely different, and I can't unpack all this, but the biblical message, scripturally, Colossians, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, basically says you have to face it, forgive it, and then you forget it. It's face Face it, you gotta, you gotta come right out and just like, yes, that happened to you. Yes, that was unfair. Yes, those conditions were unfortunate. Yes, 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 yes. But you know what? As a Christ follower, because any Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, then you, it's because you've been forgiven. It's because you, that's the only thing that makes you a Christ follower is I'm forgiven. And when you realize you've been forgiven, you have been empowered to forgive. And if you ever need forgiveness again, which is incentive built into the Christian experience, you have to forgive. And when you do that, you can forget. It doesn't always 100% go away, but it, you don't remember with the pain you once had. There's things that I, I, I faced, I've forgiven, and I'm, if somebody talked about it, I'm like, okay, I can remember, yeah. I mean, but it's not, this is not some dastardly painful thing for me. I don't even think about it anymore. There's thing that God, God has healed me of, renewed my mind of, washed me, literally washed me. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about external wash. I'm talking about an internal cleansing where I don't think those things anymore because I faced them, I forgave them, and as a result, I can forget them. Listen, you are not a victim. You need to say that. Say, I am not, I am not a victim. I am not a victim. See, I'm not, I'm not Joel Osteen, okay, so I'm not going to do some, you know, victorious in Jesus message here, and I'm not knocking him or anything like that. He's the happiest man on the planet. I can't smile like him. I, if I smiled like that, my face would be stuck, okay, and I would need massage therapy in my cheeks from so much grinning. Now, I've met Joel, and he's a really great guy, okay, but I just can't do that. So this is not what that is. But I'm just saying, this is just good doctrine. According to Scripture, you are not a victim, the Bible tells us that, okay? Well, PD, awful things have happened to me. I'm sorry. Like, I wish I could tell you from the bottom of my heart how sorry I am about that. But they don't have to control you. 
They are not determinative. Your past does not define your future. I'm desperately sorry about that, but that's not the real you. The real you, when you realize you're not a victim, will stand up. Can I have an amen? And so the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. That means there's no trash being carried around by anybody who knows who they are in Christ Jesus. If you don't realize what Christ did for you, oh, man, does this stuff get heavy. And you're just carrying around all this condemnation with you everywhere you go. You need to take that stuff to the street, everybody, right? Let's take condemnation to the street, Amen. The Bible says in Romans 8.31, what shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter what you're facing. You can face that because God is for you. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're an heir. You're a child of God. You have a call, a calling, and a purpose over your life. You're more than conqueror, Romans 8.37, amen? And so there's nothing that in Christ can or has the authority to master your life. And that's what this series is all about. Is it difficult? Yes. But it's essential that you change and you can in Christ Jesus. I hope you have a commitment to growth. That's why I'm doing this series because I have an assumption that you want to grow. Yes or no? Growth is one of our core values. We have seven core values in our church and growth is one of those. Healthy things grow, right? And so if you're not growing, it's because you're not healthy. So this is about getting healthy. This is about looking at some of those unhealthy methods that you've adopted unknowingly or knowingly and put labeling them, bagging them, and taking them to the street like trash because they're not serving you well. They're not helping you grow. Amen? I mean, Joseph's life, if you look at his, if, you, if you've done any Old Testament reading, this, this is a great, a great story. Joseph uh, in the Bible, Genesis 39 to 50 is, is the is the text for this. But Joseph, I don't know about you, but I think Joseph was kind of a cocky, cocky kid. Okay? He was pampered by his dad. Some of you guys know this story. Yeah, a little bit. It's a few of you. If you don't, I'm going to give you the, the cliff notes on this. Joseph was this, this kid who was pampered by his dad. And, and he was, I think he was kind of cocky. And his dad gives him this coat. And I, I kind of modernized it a little bit. I think he had like one of the Michael Jackson coats on and probably some gloves with sparkles on them, you know, shine bright like a diamond kind of stuff. And, and I think Joseph might have had a little high voice because he was like a t- preteen, you know, he hadn't gone through puberty yet. And so, so, so he's probably got a boom box and he's just like, the way you're making me feel, ooh, <laughs> you know, and he's coming out to his brothers, and he's delivering like, he's delivering like Caesar's pizza, 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 and he's delivering pizza to them, and they're out working. And I think they couldn't stand it. Like, why, is, why doesn't he have to work? Why doesn't dad make him work? And he's like, the way you're making me feel. And, and he's got the coat. Look at my coat. And he's just cocky and ocky, right? And so eventually, this builds up, and the brothers hate him to the point where they want to kill their very own brother. You know, has anybody ever wanted to kill your brother? Don't raise your hand. But I'm sure there's people in here. No, I didn't want to kill him. But you wanted to sell him into slavery. Okay. That's what these brothers did. The older brother stepped in. We can't kill him, but we'll sell him into slavery. Oh, upgrade. (laughs) You're really wise and really spiritual. So they sell him into slavery, speed ahead. He goes through all these trials, all these situations. He's, He's in a pit. You know, he's picked up, he's taken to, he's taken to, to, to Egypt, he's, he's, he eventually gets into uh, uh, Potiphar's house, and then he's falsely accused, uh, and then he goes back to prison again, and then he interprets a dream for the king and uh, the Pharaoh, Caesar's palace. Anyway, Pharaoh, I just went with the pizza. Uh, and 
he gets into Pharaoh's palace because he interpreted the dream and, and God gives him incredible favor. But all along the way, just so you know, God was doing something in that process. And so what we're doing today is we're learning the problem of change. We're going to learn about the process of change, which is what Joseph went through on this journey. And then he, the power to change came by facing, forgiving and forgetting. And so ultimately, Joseph is standing before his brothers, who they, with all this power, he's second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. And in Genesis 45, 8, look what he says when he's talking to him. He says, listen, you guys don't get it. It was not you who sent me here, but God. See, when you look through these self-centered change methods, you're looking through you. You think they did this to you. They sent you here. The reason I'm here is because of them. When you look through God's methods, you realize, no, God had a plan. God has a purpose. God's doing something that I couldn't see. I can see from this point. Before I used to see from this, he is doing something great and mighty through me. It's completely different. And in Genesis chapter 50, he goes on, he says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. They were like freaking out. They think, they think he's gonna, they're going to be imprisoned. Am I not in the place of God? See, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God's not changing you just for you. God's changing you for others. The secret is not just fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me. The secret is, God, you must be doing something through these terrible circumstances, through these awful situations, through these ups and downs, through the pit, through the prisons, because you're going to take me one day to a palace, because you're going to take me one day to a platform where I have influence with many, many people and you're going to use these hardships and you're going to use these harmful situations to accomplish a mighty task. Can I have an amen out there? Ooh, I am fired up right now. Let me tell you something. Third service, get ready. All right. See, this should be the story of any person who meets Jesus. We're no longer victims. Anybody who meets Jesus is no longer a victim because you are in Christ Jesus. I love, 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 love this story. In fact, Joseph later on, he had a son and he named his son Manasseh. I can imagine him walking with his son. Son, I'm gonna, we, we have a child. Well, Daddy, why'd you name me Manasseh? Why'd you name me Manasseh? Son, I named you N N Manasseh because the Bible, this is what the Bible says about that word, and this is the interpretation. It, the, word, the name means the Lord made me forget. <laughs> See, that's his future. If he didn't face it, if he didn't forgive his brothers, he wouldn't know the blessing of forgetting that horrible past and seeing an incredible future. And his son was a reminder of the promise of God fulfilled in his life. Wow, it's amazing. Number three, change through self-discovery. Change through self-discovery. Or you could say humanistic psychology. People like Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, and the like. They started this whole thing. But now, self-discovery or self-help or self-improvement. All of us in this room have been influenced by self-help. Uh, and I'm not saying it's bad. I've read self-help books. I've read all kinds. I've read Dale Carnegie's book. I've, I, I've read Tony Robbins' books before. I've read Zig Ziglar books. All kinds of different books. Who's Zig Ziglar? That just freaked people out there. Okay, but that's his name. He's famous, okay? But this particular industry is huge, okay? You may not know this, but Americans spend over $10 billion a year on motivational products every year. You've been influenced by that. The problem is that 50% of all the traditional motivational books are never read, read past the first chapter. First chapter. And 90% of all motivational books are never finished. This means that people really want to improve, but they don't know how to start, and they don't know how to finish. That's my point. 
I, I took that right out of Google. That's my point. I'm like, thank you very much. That's my point. I'm just, I'm just going to put that right in there. Perfect, all right? So you can read Dale Carnegie's book, bestseller of all time, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You can read How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. That's the top seller on Amazon.com right now. I was looking through some of the titles. Listen to these titles. Uh, self-help, self-discovery. Get out of your own way. Overcoming self-defeating behavior. This one I had to write, I wrote a special note for. It said, when am I going to be happy? And I put, not soon. (laughs) The power of self-helping and the like, okay? So this method, this faulty self-centered change method teaches people that you're controlled by your own values, your own choices. It's you. It's you. It's so much closer to the truth. In other words, the answer's within you. Find that answer, live it, and you'll be changed. The problem is, it doesn't work. It doesn't improve behavior. It ignores behavior. And so that's why we have all this positivity and self-talk and self-esteem programs. It's frankly gotten out of hand. It's gotten way out of hand. I'm a nice guy. I'm a good person. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to go buy myself something nice. I deserve it. It's like it's just everywhere. It's in adults, grown men and women thinking like this. We have kids that are being raised up. Oh, you know, poor teachers, they have to like, and coaches, their jobs are so hard. Coaches, you get a kid, little Johnny's up to play baseball. You know, he's getting ready to hit that ball. Swing, whiffa, swing, whiff, swing, whiff, strikes out. Parents from the crowd, awesome job, son, way to go. That was an incredible strikeout. (laughs) What? What the heck is going on? He just struck out. That's not awesome. When you read awesome, it doesn't say strike out, miss the shot, fall down. No. Doesn't say that. You go to school and, and, and a kid, little Johnny, takes a test. He gets three out of 20 right. Three out of 20. Teacher gets down on one knee and says, You are so smart, Johnny. Such a smart, smart boy. Such a smart kid. And I'm like, no, get off the game system, study, and do better on the test. That's what the teacher needed to tell him. But, oh, we can't crush little Johnny's spirit. We can't crush his spirit. We just can't do that. That would crush his spirit. Okay, well, here's, here's the results. The tests are in, people. Never have self-esteem scores been higher. Never have test scores been lower in history. Little Johnny, listen to this. Little Johnny, they are realizing that The better little Johnny feels about himself, the less he wants to work. Why should I study? Why should I work? I'm awesome. (laughs) My parents have been telling me since I was three years old, I'm incredible, I'm awesome, and I haven't done nothing (laughs) or accomplished anything. (laughs) See, we need to put that method in the trash and take it to the street. I'm fired up about that one, okay? (laughs) All right, let me give you a biblical view on this real fast, okay? Jeremiah 17, 9. Look, this this is important theology coming up. Get ready. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, here's the thing. If we could possibly, if we could even understand a fraction of the depravity of man, like how wicked we are without God changing us from the inside out, our natural inclination since the fall of man is to sin, is to do wrong. No, no, we're good. We're inherently good. Really? Really? Have you had kids? 
Like, get ready if you haven't. You know, you're going to see the natural. They're just, we're just born that way, okay? So we have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Change. That's the whole purpose of the gospel was to change us from the inside out, everybody. But uh, depravity, if we don't see our depravity, depravity convinces us we're good enough. Depravity keeps us from transformation because we're living in denial of what's really true about who we really are. So we think it's goods in me. Goods in, no, it's not. Good is the only one is good is God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Just Jesus. That's it. According to Jesus' own words, red letter edition. Okay. And so it's it, the cool part is uh, is that even though I'm depraved, even though I'm uh, my my natural bent towards sin is there, God loves me in spite of that. That's like mind-blowing. That's the point. When you see the grace of God, it begins the process of transformation in you. So he loves you in spite of you. He thinks about you. When you're far from him, he's longing to be with you. You're on his mind all the time. And his love for you is at maximum regardless of what your behavior is or ever will be. And so when you understand that, uh, uh, you'll change. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 somewhere, it says, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. See, that's the problem. And so the problem is the, drive, the driving for change isn't self-love, but Christ's love. It's not self-esteem, it's Christ's esteem. In Matthew chapter 10, it says this, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Look at this. This is so powerful. I think you guys will get something out of this. See, the world says, find yourself. The answer is in you. Jesus says, lose yourself. The answer is in me. It's, oh, come on, everybody. That'll preach right there, okay? Number four, write this down. Legalistic change. Now we're going to shift from secular thinking uh, that doesn't work to Christian thinking that doesn't work, Okay? So we don't want to leave all the Christians off the hook here. So legalistic change. Now, some of you grew up in this militant type of Christianity. Rules, 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 and more rules. Let's get ready to rumble. You know, I'm like, and you had to know the rules before you fight, right? And there's, it's just like church was just like this military guy screaming in your face. Do better. Get up. Get out of bed. You lazy bum. You know, drop and give me 50. You know, you don't know what you're doing. Spitting all over your face. That's most of the church. Some of you grew up in a church like that. We had a little bit of that here years ago. You know? And you got to do, 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 do. Exhausting. Trying to keep the rules. There was a list, you know? There was just this preoccupation with some kind of a filthy five or dirty dozen list that you had to keep. Depending on how intense your church was. Okay? Pray more, do more, give more, show up to church more. We've got to go to more church meetings. Get up early, do this again. Don't say that. Say this. Memorize that. Make sure you do this. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Christianity isn't just rules, everybody. It's relationship. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Relationship plus rules equals discipleship, growth, transformation. Amen? So we, we're not giving up on rules. Don't get me wrong. Oh, that he's teaching no rules. No, I'm teaching relationship above rules is, is, the, is the result that we need, right? How many have been there? You know what I'm talking about. Look at Romans 7. It says this. Paul speaking, he says, look, look, look what happens when we live by legalism. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful de desires were at work within us. And the law, or you could say rules here, aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. 
So here's what happens is, over time, if we keep living like that, it's the rule that inflames your desire to sin. Are you guys getting something out of this out there? It's, It's the rule that does that. See, legalism in and of itself has no power to change you. It, it just, there's no powers in the rules. I remember when, when I was younger, my, my mother, she'd say, she, she said she's going to go on an errand. And, and I'm outside shooting hoops. I'm outside shooting hoops, totally content, having a ball, having a blast, literally have a ball. And my, wife, and my, my mother would say, I'm going to go run an errand. And she'd say, whatever you do, don't leave this yard. As soon as she said that, <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like, the parameters of my house began to change. Suddenly, suddenly I saw like 40-foot walls around. I felt like I was in prison. And I could hear what I couldn't hear before. Children on the other side of the wall. Come over here. It's so fun. Everything's better on the other side of the wall. Play with us, Derek. Right? As soon as she said, don't do this. Right? It makes me think about the story of this, this mom and and she was, she was hosting a pastor. A pastor was doing a visit. He was coming over the house. And, and, and she, her son was with her. And, and she looks at her son. She says, okay, honey, we're going to host the pastor. He's coming over to do a, kind of a visit and bless our house. Whatever you do, don't look at the pastor's nose because it's really big. Whatever you do, that sets up everything that's going to be bad after that. Don't look at his nose because it's really big. Well, sure enough, the pastor shows up. The door opens, and that boy's. And the mom's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. She's so embarrassed. She's trying to cover it up. She's like, oh, Pastor, come in, come in, come in. What are you doing? What are you doing? Pastor, come in, come in, come in, come in. And the boy's just. And so she brings him into the den, and she sits, sits down, Pastor, can I get you something? And she starts looking at his nose, too, and she's pulling away. And she's, and she's, and she's can I get you something to drink? And she's looking at the nose, and, and, and he's like, yeah, that'd be great. And so she goes to get some tea, and she goes to get some tea, and she brings the tea back, and she comes over to the pastor, and she goes, and she starts staring at his nose, and, and she can't tell, and she's just looking, and she goes, Pastor, would you like some sugar in your nose? <laughs> See, whatever you, <laughs> whatever you focus on, you end up falling for. Whatever you focus on, you end up falling for, everybody. That's what happens. It arouses that kind of behavior in you. Amen? Number five, write this down. This is the fifth one. Uh, this is kind of a big word, monastic change. This is about... This is about suppressive change, kind of suppressive method. There were many thousands of monasteries built years ago. It's not very common practice, what I'm going to talk about now, but it used to be super common. This is how people would try to change. You would have these monks, and they would take these vows. You take a vow of poverty. You take uh, a vow of chastity. You would take a vow of obedience. And so poverty, I'm not going to own anything. Uh, uh, Chastity, I'm not going to pursue any of my sexual desires. And obedience, I'm going to obey all authority. And I'm going to do that for three years, three-year program, totally follow that. And, and that's how they would try to change. Anybody want to do that? Anybody takers? We're starting a new monk program here at Connect. Uh, just looking, looking. Oh, look at all the hands. Yeah, nobody wants to do that, okay? And so this is what they would do to suppress. They would suppress these willful, fleshly desires 
through this, this monastic approach, through this flying solo, kind of put it down, put it under. And I was thinking about a monk. Imagine him reading Romans chapter 7, right? He reads Romans chapter 7 because and, 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 you're supposed to read the Bible. And he's like on this three, he's just about to finish up, you know, his program, his internship, right? And he's like, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Everything's good so far. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my simple nature, I want to do what's right, but I can't! Ah! It would be awful to read this. They went through all they did, and they couldn't change, right? One translation says, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. You don't have the ability to live the Christian life by working harder, trying harder, doing more. No, you live the Christian life through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. See, where intimacy lives, sin dies. Where sin lives, intimacy dies. It's all about intimate fellowship with God. It's all about relationship with God first. Can I have an amen? Have you ever failed to diet, everybody? Anybody failed to diet before, right? Right? See, if you, I call it white-knuckle Christianity. It's like, uh, 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 I don't want to do wrong. I don't want to do wrong. Oh, Jesus, how much longer before you coming back? Oh, 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 pretty girl. Oh, beer. Oh, bad things. Oh, oh Jesus, take the wheel. Oh. That's how we diet, right? I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. It's like an elastic band. I'm not going to eat that. 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 We gain all the weight back on steroids, right? Monastic chance. What happens when we get like this? I don't know if you guys are getting anything out of this, but you need to take that method to the what? Come on, to the street. Okay, last one, number six, intellectual change. I'm having fun whether you guys are not. It's intellectual change, okay? So Romans 7 basically says it like this. I'm going to skip to verse 22. It basically says, Paul speaking, he's like, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. See, you can't win it through intellect. It's not through intellect. Intellect is not the key to change. See, some people like, sometimes people come to church and they're like, Pastor, you know, I want to I do this because I want to I learn more. I want to study more. Great. That's awesome. I'm not saying that's bad. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. A workman need, not needing to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to know what you believe and who you believe in. But I've got to tell you something. You're not going to change by intellect. You will change by revelation knowledge. The truth that you know will set you free. That's a deep knowing that transforms your behavior. But it's not going to come and just learn, 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 learn. So this intellectual method, I, you know, that's why people say stuff like, you know, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why do I behave like that? I know better, but I still do it. That's what Paul was talking about. I, I know, I know uh, I, I, I'm going to be frustrated, but I'm still going to do it. I know I'll be upset if I give into my anger and, you know, rip my kid's head off. But I'm still going to do it. Why do I do that? Why do I do it? See, we, we can't do it just through knowledge. 
Knowledge puffeth up, but love buildeth up. We need to be in an environment, like community. Small, that's what small groups are all about. Right now, we have small groups going on. We're just kicking them off. If you're not in a group, I beg you, as your pastor or whatever level of influence you allow me to have in your life, get into a group. Get down to Guest Central. Uh, look at your worship God. There's a way for you to do that. Uh, you know, look on our website. Get in a group so that you can begin interacting about these things so that you can really, really change. You need a place where somebody's praying for you. Someone's holding you accountable. Somebody's helping you with what you're studying to apply it to your life. Amen? Information's not the key. You can put your worship gods away. I want to pray for you. The Apostle Paul said in that same chapter, in verse 24, he said, what a miserable person that I am. He came to this realization. It's like, you know, it's not everything else. It's not everyone else. It's me. It's me. In one place he says, oh, wretched man that I am. He, he, he accepted, my grandson's trying to take over the service. He accepted his own depravity. He accepted that. He's like, realize, you know what? I can't save myself. Only God can save me. And you might be there today. You might be coming to that realization. So I wanna, what I want to do is I want to say, there's an open heart surgery that God wants to do in your life. So with every head bowed, every closed, let me pray for you right where you are. And campus pastors, you can join me. Let me just say this. As we begin to pray, open up your heart to the Holy Spirit right now. What's he saying to you through this message? I believe biblical change starts with admission. <laughs> In other words, the problem isn't something else, someone else. The problem starts with me. I'm broken because of sin, and I need, and I need to admit that. In fact, in Romans it says, the trouble is with me, Paul said, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. And then he said, uh, he said, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. And so we have to, second, we have to turn to God only, and realize only God can change us. The only answer to change is not found in you, it's found in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you've never surrendered, truly submitted, yielded to the, the priority method, the priority system, the God system, and that is coming into relationship with Christ. And you want to do that? I want to give you that chance. This is a big moment for you. This is a big moment right now. And I want you to just be courageous. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you and you know he's knocking on the door of your heart, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to come into relationship with Jesus. I want to, I want to change, and I know only Jesus can help me change. That's me. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Miss, thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Say yes to Jesus. Thank you. Maybe you're listening online. Maybe you're listening far away, but God is very near to you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those in this audience. You can all join me. And those that raise your hand, please, please join me. Just say this. Say, Jesus, I admit the problem starts with me. I don't want to blame it on anything else. And I'm not going to put my trust in these faulty methods. I transfer trust to you. So I admit that, God. And I turn to God, the only one who can change me, the answer to all of my problems and to real change. And I ask you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life from this day forward. Now, Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, seal it until the day of redemption. I pray that they know, that they know, that they know in their heart of hearts that today was the day of salvation and that their new beginning has started today they can, they have the power to change, and they are no longer victims. They can be victorious in Christ Jesus. And all the church said a big amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Thank you for your attention. Come on up, Jason. God bless you guys. It was awesome being with you today.